finally, finally, people are protesting on behalf of Israel and not against Israel. Today in Washington, D.C., there was a massive rally um, for Israel on the National Mall. Tens of thousands of pro-Israel advocates uh, showed up at the National Mall today for what would be one of the most important rallies in Jewish American history. And I can't underscore that sentiment enough. We're seeing worldwide levels of anti-Semitism that we have not seen in quite some time. But worse than worldwide anti-Semitism, because we've always had anti-Semitism, what's most disturbing to me, and I think to many other Americans, and I think this is going to play into the next election as as one of many issues, is that so many of our young people in this country, the United States of America, where Jewish Americans have made so many contributions to the American landscape, we see protests in our elite universities supporting Hamas and the Palestinian Authority to the detriment of the Israeli people and the Israeli nation. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do in one of um, you could do so rather in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store and download the free Podbean app, which we use as our hosting service. Search out The Jamie Dury Show and locate us that way and subscribe. Or you can use your native podcast aggregator app on whichever of the two devices you use, Apple or Android. And you can search out The Jamie, show, show, um, Jamie Dury Show directly and uh, subscribe that way. When I listen to podcasts, I usually listen on my native podcast app, so whichever way you wish to do. It doesn't matter which way you decide to subscribe, as long as you do subscribe. We try and give you a good show. Please give us a five-star review. Please share the show. Please tell your friends about the show. Encourage them to listen to the show. And you can leave a review or a comment, regardless of which way you choose to subscribe. We really need more reviews. The more we get the better the show will do, the faster it will grow, because the more readily it will appear in search results when people are searching for new podcasts they wish to listen to. And as always, if you have something you wish to ask me directly, or a subject you'd like me to cover, or an issue you'd like me to comment on, simply email me at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. Now, I wanted to speak a little bit about these uh, demonstrations, and, I, and I'm very, very glad that there was a big pro-Israel demonstration in Washington today. And the reason being is when I listen to the news, and I do listen to a lot of news, I get most of my news from the radio, and there's a reason for that. Radio is practical, and I'm going to segue into something on that um, before I even get into the protests themselves. I do a lot of driving for my, uh, my businesses and in um, my daily life. So it's very convenient to consume news by the radio because you're not wasting any time. You're trapped in the car. You can't do anything else anyway. Increasingly, forces, liberal forces, are out there trying to make it impossible for you to even make a phone call so you can't even make use of the time 
to conduct business on the phone, even with a hands-free device, because they keep making the argument that it takes away your attention. I don't know quite why they would think that a phone would distract people more than having a conversation with a real person right next to them who they are occasionally going to be turning and looking at. But that's for them to try and prove. Uh, But no one has ever said it was a crime to listen to music or listen to the radio. Now, when I was growing up, AM radio was it. Everybody listened to everything on AM radio. With the advent of FM radio and its ever-increasing popularity, more and more people listened to FM stations because you could get a greater degree of fidelity with your music, a much better listening experience, even talking. You know, when you listen to these sports casting or live casting of games, sometimes the audio fidelity is, is better on FM, uh, usually is, than it is on AM, but not as demonstrably so as in the question of music. So over the years, uh, AM radio has been less and less something associated with music and more and more the uh, home of talk radio and other informational-based shows. Because of the nature of people's lives today, to me, it's very, very important that people are able to get news from a radio source. It's not our newest technology, but it's one of our most reliable technologies. And when other things go down, uh, many radio stations still operate. They're a viable source of, of news and information. And AM still has a place in our lives because we're able to get more range out of AM radios than we are uh, on FM radios. So while FM gives good clarity, you won't get the the broadcast range that you'll get on AM radio. You can pick up stations from Philadelphia in New York City on AM. Not easy to do that with FM. So why am I building up to this? Because there is a big move right now uh, among the auto manufacturers to eliminate AM radios from cars. Fortunately, Congress, in a rare show of bipartisanship, uh, recognizes the necessity to keep AM radios in cars because it is our most widely used and available method for distributing information in the case of an emergency. And I'm quite sure that if we had... um, uh, a war, an invasion, a terrorist attack, when a lot of other forms of communication would go down, AM radio would still be there. AM radio, um, talk radio, is also very efficient uh, at communicating information. Uh, At the bottom of every hour and the top of every hour, you get a news break, a news news, uh, update on what's breaking. The top of the hour report is usually more extensive. If there is an emergency, they cut in readily, much more so than on television. And um, I'm going to relate a personal story where I was uh, on a deployment one time. I won't get into details about it at this time. But suffice it to say that for a period of probably close to four months, three and a half to four months, I had absolutely no access to television. The only information source that I had access to was a portable radio, like a Walkman-style radio, which allowed me to get 
AM and FM frequencies. And I can tell you that I used to enjoy very much listening to those things. And the thing that shocked me the most, and that's why I'm using this story, is when I finally had access to television again, I was amazed to discover I wasn't out of the loop or out of touch with reality from not having had access to television in any way, shape, or form. Everything that was being talked about on TV, everything that was the news of the day, pressing issues, I was aware of all of them because of the fact that I had listened to talk radio. Uh, in fact, it, talk radio is my preferred way to consume news. I don't watch television much anymore, uh, for, for news, that is. I really don't watch Fox News, especially after they got rid of Tucker Carlson. I only used to watch his show. But after they conducted the way, themselves the way they did in the calling of the 2020 election and the chicanery that was going on there, and I have explained in past shows exactly what I mean by that, and I'm not going to go through it now in the interest of brevity, I walked away from Fox News. If I do watch news on television, it's Newsmax. But more often than not, I prefer to listen to the news uh, in my car, uh, on the radio, uh, when I'm driving my son to school and when I'm driving up to my office after I drop him off. I have a good hour uh, between those two trips to listen to the news and, and get the news of the day. And I, I keep myself uh, informed that way. And I think you should. You should do it. Now, why are they trying to get rid of these radios? Well, they're trying to get rid of them on the argument that electric cars don't work well with AM radios because they can cause interference that can um, cause unwanted noise on the AM radio. Uh, it seems to me with the advance in technology and um, the, the, the increased knowledge of electronics that they could find a way or put a device in that would suppress or eliminate any interference caused by the electric motor so I don't find that as a viable uh, excuse. And they certainly have no excuse as to why they don't want AM radios in cars that aren't electric. So it doesn't make any sense at all. So I think Congress is right. It's one of the rare moments when they made the right decision to try and mandate AM radios in cars. AM radios have survived many other devices that have come and gone in cars since I've been around. When we first started, all you had in the way of entertainment or infotainment in your car was a radio, and it was an AM radio. And then it came to be AM, FM radios. And then there was the 8-track. Many people don't even know what an 8-track tape is. Well, they were kind of bulky. They went by the wayside. And then after 8-track went by the wayside, cassettes came in. And people had stacks of cassette players to put in their cars. And then after the cassettes went by, CD players took over. And when one CD was not enough, you'd put in, they came out with multiple CD players where you could load multiple discs, six, seven, or eight of them, and listen to all manner of music. And then, of course, when the iPod was invented, that changed the face of music and how we listen to it, how we purchase it, how we store it. Because you'd have, even in the early days of iPods, a device that could hold 30,000 songs and even more. Uh, and so people were flabbergasted, and that sort of killed CDs. And now with streaming services and broadband 
cellular service, internet, and things like that, you have unlimited access. But through all of this, through all of these coming and goings of 8-tracks, cassettes, and CDs, and iPods, AM radio has endured because it allows for communication, especially in time of emergency. It allows for the consumption of information, and it needs to stay. And it doesn't hurt that more so than their television counterparts, conservative thought can be found more readily on AM radio, talk radio, than it can on the television. And I think people do need to have a balanced view. Uh, The idea of a balanced view in in the minds of the Democrats is to simply eliminate any counter thought. You can see now with Biden saying that white supremacy is the greatest threat to our national security. Are you kidding me? I haven't seen any white supremacists running around New York City lately. All I've seen are a bunch of illegal immigrants that have no right to be here running up to me with their cell phone saying, oh, que paso, habla, habla, and, and pointing to their phone and wanting me to look on their phone and tell them what this is or that is or where they're going. I'm not helping anyone who has no right to be here and who uh, his first act in entering the country was to violate the laws of that country. So I'm not going to uh, to uh, subsidize that sort of thing. I told them to get lost. So this is, a, this is nonsense. They want to shut down any counter speech. You say something that the left doesn't agree with and you are giving out disinformation. No, it's not disinformation. It's different information. It's information that you don't agree with. But that doesn't make it untrue. It doesn't make it untrue. I'm allowed to have an opinion. I'm allowed to say something that you don't believe in or you don't like, but they don't want that. And so if you look at CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, all these other cable news networks, they're almost overwhelmingly left-wing. Fox News was um, more of a middle of the road. It looked like it was right-wing because they gave you both sides, which the other agencies don't do. And then NPR is the biggest joke of all, right? NPR is public money, national public radio. Well, if it's taxpayer-funded, why is it such a left-wing station? You'd never find a conservative program on NPR. Why? Everybody's money is using it, right? Conservatives' money is being used for it. Republican money is used for it. Democrat money is used for it. Why is it only Democrat liberal programming? So we need AM radio. And uh, without it, I think we'd be in, in deep trouble. So getting back to the uh, original topic of discussion, these protests. The entire way this conflict is being characterized by the left-wing media, I, I just don't like the way they put it. They, they, they call it Israel's war on Hamas. Well, why is it Israel's war on Hamas, as if the Israelis decided arbitrarily one day to go out and wipe out Hamas. Look how one-sided that is, and look how prejudicial it is to the position of Israel. It's not even Israel's war with Hamas. They have to say Israel's war on Hamas. I would say it the other way around. Hamas's war on Israel. Wasn't it Hamas that attacked it? in mass on October 7th and murdered 1,400 Israelis, beheading children. This all began October 7th. This is the greatest 
single-day massacre of Jews since the Nazi Holocaust. Because we all know six million were killed then. But this is the greatest single-day massacre since that time. It is unbelievable what was done. Absolutely unbelievable. Grandmothers. As one grandmother survived the Holocaust, she's now in the clutches of Hamas. Babies being beheaded, victims dragged through the street, paragliders coming in, uh, shooting up sporting events, and Israelis were attending. And now the heart bleeds on the part of the left for the Palestinian people and for Hamas. Hamas is ruling the Palestinians. If the Palestinians are miserable, it's because of what Hamas has done, but nobody says anything about that. Hamas does all manner of evil in the Gaza Strip, but because the Israelis are not doing it, you never hear about it. Now that the Israelis have to use force in the Gaza Strip because the Hamas is undermining uh, the rules of war and trying to use people that are innocents as human shields, all of a sudden it's Israel's fault. Is it Israel's fault that Hamas decides to put a terror network of tunnels under a hospital or under a school? Is it Israel's fault that Hamas decides to hide munitions and house terrorists in hospitals and schools? No, it's not. It's Hamas's fault. So what choice do the Israelis have? They can either just do nothing and have evil and death and destruction visited upon them from these now strategic locations, or they can take these locations out. They can take them out. And they give warning before they take them out. Whenever they get a house that supposedly has terrorists in it, they lob a dummy shell onto the roof of the house. It hits. Don't. Everybody knows. Let's get out. In five minutes, they're going to fire the real one. So they do a lot. They do a lot to try and minimize civilian casualties. But they have an absolute right to defend themselves. And they should defend themselves. Uh, There's a lot of things going on uh, with this war that nobody is 100% pleased with, but war is a horrifying thing. That's why it's something to be avoided. And the Israelis have never been one to start a war. The only time the Israelis have gotten in wars is when they were attacked. And I want to put something to rest right now. Um, Everybody talks about Palestinian state, a Palestinian state, a Palestinian state. You know, those who don't study history are destined to repeat it. Israel was founded in 1948 in the aftermath of World War II. The land that was given up was ruled by the British at that time because they were a great colonial power and they had conquered a lot of the Middle East. And this was the homeland of the tribes of Israel, the Jews. And the British gave up that land so that the Israelis could have their state. That was in 1948 that they officially became a state and were recognized by the United States of America, the first country to recognize the state of Israel. In 1947, when all this was being planned, the Palestinians were offered a Palestinian state. They didn't want it. Since Israel's been created, they've been offered a Palestinian state, I think, no fewer than three times. And the one that 
sticks in my mind most clearly is when Ehud Barak, who was elected prime minister after they ousted Netanyahu the first time because they fallaciously tried to portray him as the impediment to the peace process and his right-wing um, uh, policies or pro-Israel policies when they were not the reason, Ehud Barak proceeded to offer up 40% of what is present-day Israel to the Palestinians for a Palestinian state, and they refused it, refused it out of hand. Yasser Arafat wanted no part of it because it wasn't the 40% he wanted. He wanted the 40% in such a way that Israel would be like two bubbles connected by a narrow strip of land which would have made it militarily indefensible and vulnerable in a war, and the Israelis weren't having it. They were going to give them a good 40%. They didn't want it. The bottom line is, any of you out there who are hearts are bleeding for the Palestinians and their lack of a Palestinian state, remember a few things. They've been offered a Palestinian state multiple times. They've refused it every time. They don't want a Palestinian state. What they want is no Israel. They want no Israeli state. That is it, plain and simple. They want Israel annihilated. And it should say something to you that no Arab, other Arab country wants these people in. When a lot of them were in Jordan, the Jordan King Hussein, he didn't want the Palestinians there. The Egyptians don't want the Palestinians there. The Saudis don't want the Palestinians there. One of the Saudi crown princes, royal princes, made a great statement about the historical origins of the Muslims and the, and the Jews, and he explained how the Muslims were descendant from Ishmael, which was Abraham's firstborn son. I spoke about this, I think, last week, the week before, um, who was his son with Hagar, his slave. And God had told Abraham that he should have a child with Hagar. Have a child with Hagar, and I will make him a great nation. And from Ishmael, the Muslims descended. And then God favored Abraham with a son from his wife, Sarah. Now, Sarah was supposedly 80 years old at the time. No way she could have a child. But God said she will have a child. And she did. She had a boy. And his name was Isaac. Isaac was the father of the tribes of Israel and the Israeli nation, the Jewish people. So the Jews and the Muslims, as the Saudi prince pointed out, are cousins. Palestinians are not. He went on and on in Arabic. You had to read the subtitles because he was speaking very rapidly in Arabic. He went on and on to explain how the Palestinians are not Arabs in any way. They were displaced people from multiple ethnicities. They have no place in this. They have no land, he says, and they have no case. The land is Israel's and it always will be Israel. He said, I'll have a Jewish person in my house. I will give him food. I will give him water. I will not have a Palestinian in my house. Now, I'm not saying these are my words. These are the words of the Saudi prince. So I'm the, I, I mention it because I'm trying to show you that this, um, this abhorrence or distaste for the Palestinian issue of these Palestinian people are not something that is unique to Israel. And I'm not saying that the Israelis have a distaste. I think the Israelis would let them be. The Israelis don't want to destroy Palestine. They don't want to destroy the Palestinian people. They just don't want anybody invading their country. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with that or unreasonable about that. If Hamas had never attacked Israel on October 7th, Israel wouldn't be doing what they're doing now. That was all timed by Hamas to try and disturb the Abraham Accords, which President Trump had negotiated and was working very well. That's what's going on here. And now it's extending all around the world and to our universities. As far away as in Australia, there's a pro-Palestinian protest for school children planned in the city of Melbourne. And one of the senators there, Senator Birmingham, uh, is quoted as saying he is deeply troubled by the idea, highlighting that children should not be drawn into sensitive activities. Quote, school children really shouldn't be dragged into sensitive activities in areas of, I think, great complexity in terms of how this conflict, its history, its origins, and ultimately, of course, the fact that some will seek to use them as voices. He said there should be great caution in mobilizing children in this way within an Australian context. Up in our own country, the state of Massachusetts, Massachusetts town approves Muslim students' application to fly a Palestinian flag. And again, perspective. Look how it's portrayed. One student by the name of Selma Tamir Kehal filed an application seeking to raise the Palestinian flag after the town displayed Israel's flag following the Hamas terror attacks on Israeli families that left more than 1,400 people dead. This was in the north, the town of North Andover. Um, the board, of, it's on a public flagpole, and the board of selectmen made a unanimous decision just yesterday at a meeting, and the meeting apparently was rather contentious, filled with both supporters and opponents of this move. Now, Bentley University is located in Waltham, about 40 miles north of Andover, considered a bedroom community for Boston. Now, this girl, Miss Kahal, she wears a hijab, says she's a resident of North Andover, and said she felt slighted that it appeared to be choosing sides in what she referred to as the conflict between Hamas and Israel. Well, Miss Kehal, I don't really give a hoot in hell if you feel slighted. You yourself just classified this conflict as between Hamas and Israel, not between Palestine and Israel. And why shouldn't the United States, who has been a long ally of Israel, why shouldn't we take sides with Israel and its people when they are attacked by a vicious vicious entity which is seeking to wipe them out and that same entity has visited death and destruction on your people, the Palestinian people. Why aren't you, instead of feeling slighted, supporting the Israeli move and saying, good, get rid of Hamas because I got news for you, sweetheart. Piers Morgan had on the son of one of the co-founders of Hamas on his show a man who defected from Hamas because when he was in an Israeli prison, having once been a terrorist, he watched Hamas terrorists torture other Hamas people and Palestinians 
in Israeli prison, tortured them to death in some cases. And he realized how evil they were, and God forbid if they ever took power. Well, they have power. They have power in, in the Gaza Strip. They rule it, and the Palestinian people suffer under it. Why aren't you, like him, cheering Israel on and yelling at Netanyahu for not going harder than he is to wipe these people out to do the world a favor by wiping Hamas out once and for all? So you're the hypocrite. You are the hypocrite. Now, Rabbi Aydin Irelander, he's um, the rabbi that is in charge of the congregation of Avat Olam in North Andover. Uh, he came out and made a statement that he's absolutely uh, outraged by the decision by this board of selectmen in North Andover, Andover to approve flying a Palestinian flag just for the appearance of fairness to a terrorist group that carried out an unspeakable massacre uh, in, a, in a Jewish community. Uh, I think the rabbi is right on. His quote, to me, this is commemorating an unprovoked massacre of innocent people. I don't see how the human mind of anyone can think otherwise. In a memo released, I'm reading from an article now, in a memo released prior to the November 13th vote, North Andover town manager Melissa Rodriguez cited the 2022 Supreme Court ruling on a flag-raising controversy in Boston that arose when the city denied a Christian group's application to raise its flag on the city-owned community flagpole. Gregory Rooney, the commissioner of Boston's Property Management Division, denied Camp Constitution's application on the basis that it wanted to fly a religious flag. So this is not a religious flag? The city of Boston maintains a policy and practice of respectfully refraining from flying non-secular flags on city hall flagpoles. I already know what that has to do with the tea in China. But she felt that uh, because they were looking at the Palestinian people, not a Muslim flag, that maybe it was secular and that all was, was should be uh, should be. Uh, peachy keen, everything was fine, it's wrong. And any, any level you care to name, it's wrong. What I find most disturbing, of course, are the incredible number of protests here in the United States by our young people uh, increasingly supporting Hamas and speaking out against Israel, even young Jews. Uh, and I, I really can't fathom it. Now, I've said for years and I'm not alone in this, but I've said it on this program too, that our institutions of higher learning in this country have changed. They're no longer institutions of, high, of higher learning. They're no longer education centers. They have increasingly become indoctrination centers, particularly your more elite universities, which are uber left-wing, like Yale and Harvard, places that used to be the bastions of, of uh, you know, hallmark American values. And now they're telling everyone in these schools how we have to hate America and America's wrong and America's wrongfully founded and Israel is wrong and socialism, communism is great, even though communism has destroyed every people and every country that it's run. Nobody has any freedom there. Ask anyone who's lived under communism if they want to stay there. Ronald Reagan once famously said, you can vote for communism. 
but you've got to fight to get rid of it. You have to go to war to get rid of it. And he's right. And to those people who complain about President Trump wanting to build a fence on the southern border, Ronald Reagan had an answer for that too. Anyone can build a fence. The difference is we're building a fence to keep people who shouldn't be here out. Communists build fences to keep their people in. Think about that. And apparently other people are thinking about it too, including the parents of these children, many of whom are very wealthy and donated substantial amounts of money as, as um, alumni to the schools that they went to in the hopes that they might be able to get their children into those schools because they wanted them to have the same education they did. And they're quickly finding that even though they got their children into those schools, they're not getting the same education that they did. And now many of these donors with the deep pockets that these Ivy League and other liberal institutions depend on for their lifeblood of cash are now cutting off funds they're cutting off funds to universities that did not condemn the massacre that many have comparing to on a, on a you know, magnitude of it uh, to what 9-11 was to the United States. And maybe even more so considering the smaller population of Israel. People are cutting it off. They're tired. They realize that these places are not what they were. And uh, I think people are starting to take notice. So maybe the silver lining of this tragedy... Uh, is that it's woken up people who want woke and maybe they're now becoming unwoke and they're realizing that all is not what it appeared to be. It's about time we get this educational system of ours on hand, underhand. Um, we have here, um, let me get this article for you. I want you to hear this. Okay, here we are. Uh, Stefan Padfield, he's an associate with the National Center for Public Policy Research's Free Enterprise Project, which is supposedly uh, an opponent of the woke takeover of corporations. That's where they advertise themselves. He told the Times, I think we're going to look back on this as a tipping point moment. The horror and the atrocity of what we saw, followed by what can only be described as seeming expressions of glee from Hamas supporters on campuses across the nation, triggered outrage from corporations. Youthful radicalism has been excused by many, but anti-Semitism allowed to flourish on college campuses has exposed a rot in our institution. Here, here, Mr. Padfield, indeed it has exposed a rot in our institutions. And for those of you out there who are all part of the LGBTQ, or whatever other acronym you want to add on to it, community, whether you're a member of that community, whether you sympathize with that community, and you're one of these people I see out there protesting against Israel and and oh, Hamas is great, and uh, Palestine, it's a, it's a, we have to be fair. And I got news for you. If Hamas or these Muslim extremists like them ever came to the United States and took over here, you 
and your LGBTQ brethren would be the first people that they would execute. Because under the Quran, you're all nothing but freaks. You understand? Homosexuality, a man lying with a man, the Quran prescribes death for that offense. Death. Not putting you on the shelf for a year, not spanking you a little bit, not doing this or that, not even castration. Death. I don't know what they propose for transgender. I don't think the Quran ever envisioned that, but it's, it's a fair uh, assumption that uh, it's not going to be looked on too kindly. So I don't know what the hell it is you think you're supporting. But it's about time that this money gets cut off because that's the only language these people understand. All of these professors are played, paid um, inflated salaries, teaching nonsense uh, and salaries that they don't deserve, working very, very little, uh, and living in a disengaged universe where they can insulate themselves from all of what it is that they have wrought with their liberal policies. You see this happening in New York City now. New York City liberals, they let everybody in. And they were fine with it when the people were coming across the southern border um, pillaging and plundering local towns in Texas, destroying people's property, the uh, property of ranchers that have their property bordering the Mexico border uh, with no recourse, not allowed to arrest people, not allowed to prosecute them, not allowed to do anything, not allowed, not allowed to have them deported. And they were fine with that. But when the governors of these border states said, hey, you know something, I have an idea. Since it's the people up north that want these people to come across here, why do we have to keep them? Let's ship them up there. All of a sudden, when they come up there, they decided they didn't like it. And neither do a lot of people. I don't like it either. I see them on the streets of my town. I see them destroying my town. Now, maybe they're going to change their tune, too. And to that end, Eric Adams has started to change his tune. And what a coincidence. He came under investigation by the federal government. You can't buck them. You try and buck them, and they'll go after you. Even if you're one of their own, they'll still go after you. And just to let you know how serious some of these uh, billionaires are taking this uh, defection against Israel, this protest uh, culture that's going on there against Israel and the college campuses that have all been supported and instigated by these professors who have indoctrinated these kids. None other than Leslie Wexner of the Wexner Foundation has cut ties with Harvard. That foundation is a big nonprofit founded by Mr. Wexner, who's a billionaire, and his wife, Abigail. They have broken ties with Harvard all over this response by the university to these terror attacks on Israel by Hamas and to the anti-Israeli sentiment uh, statement rather issued by student groups. Quote, we are stunned and sickened at the dismal failure of Harvard's leadership to take a clear and unequivocal stand against the barbaric murders of innocent Israeli civilians by terrorists last Saturday. This is, article was written a few weeks ago. Now, Abigail and Leslie Wexner um, are estimated by Forbes to be worth $6 billion. 
and they were part of a big signatory of the letter. The couple expressed a disappointment with Harvard's failure to condemn a shocking statement issued by 34 different student groups at Harvard that says Israel is entirely responsible for the violent attack carried out on October 7th by Hamas. Are you kidding? Not only are they critical of Israel for defending itself, they're saying they're responsible. I would love to know how they're responsible. And if you're trying to use the fallacious argument, I'm going to try and project now, if you're going to try and say that the Israelis didn't take a good enough precaution, that was it, uh, and, the, and that the, they afforded Hamas the opportunity to do it, just because somebody affords you the opportunity doesn't mean you should do it. But they're talking about a historical perspective. Um, here, following the attacks, 34 student groups co-signed a letter on October 8th authored by the Harvard Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee. Who the hell knew they'd even have something like that? That held the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. Quote, here it is. Today's events did not occur in a vacuum. The letter said, the apartheid regime is the only one to blame. Israeli violence has structured every aspect of Pal Palestinian existence for 75 years. No, my friends, my benighted friends at the Harvard Undergraduate Palestinian Solidarity Committee, no. One, Israel is not an apartheid regime, and they are not the ones to blame, and Israeli violence has not structured every aspect of Palestinian existence for 75 years. Rather, it's the Palestinian Authority's studied neglect of its own people. It's the Palestinian Authority's absolute refusal to accept a Palestinian state. It has been this way since before the foundation of the Israeli state by UN resolution in 1948, back in 1947. As I said, at the top of the broadcast, they were offered a Palestinian state, and they've refused it. And in numerous negotiations with Israel since it was founded in 1948, they have refused land that Israel has offered to give them for a Palestinian state on a number of occasions. And Israel is only the size of New Jersey here in the United States, which is not exactly a sprawling spread of the equivalent of Texas or Alaska. So get off it. You don't know what you're talking about. I think you were overindulged by your parents and you probably need a good smack in the head. Along with a few other people on Capitol Hill. For the Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury.